She gave me a sideways look and shot off. Squeezed through the bars of the toddler's play area and ran around with her prize in front of lots of horrified parents. Ah! Oh! Before we dive in, a warning. The content of this podcast may not be appropriate for some young listeners. This is real life, and that means that sometimes it can be a little bit graphic. So listen on at your own peril. As a veterinarian, dog behaviorist, best-selling author, and trainer, over the past decade, I've had an obsession with transforming the behavior of dogs understanding their brains and creating practical strategies that you can implement easily at home. I know all too well when the dream you imagined when you first got your dog is far from your daily reality. In fact, out of the blue, a few months ago, my little dog Gorse was bitten by a dog 20 times her size. And suddenly our life of stress-free walks, a calm and cuddly household and being teammates was replaced with reactivity, anxiety and worrying about what's around the next corner. I'm Dr. Tom, this is the Help My Dog podcast, and this is me documenting that journey of transformation, sharing my knowledge and experience with you and having a few laughs along the way. Hello, HMD family. Welcome to this episode of the Help My Dog podcast. And today's topic is, again, it's another request, okay? We're doing lots of requests. So basically, if you've got something you'd love us to cover, then um, just emailing. You can email um, cringe at helpmy.dog or team at helpmy.dog. Basically, just drop us an email. Communicate somehow. Drop us a Facebook message. I don't know. So we're talking about getting your dog to listen to you. And we're, we're saying like, actually really listen to you. You know, you say something and they respond and they respond in a way that relates to the thing that you've just said. <laughs> and so um, often our dogs um, struggle with uh, listening or we struggle to get our dogs to listen, especially in new environments, okay, or different environments or distracting environments or exciting environments. And actually, you know, my experience is with this one that sometimes in trying to make it better, what we do, we can accidentally make it worse. And so what I wanted to dedicate this episode of the podcast to is actually how, you know, the, the things that we commonly do that make it worse and what to do instead, right? There are really three things that I think are fundamental, I guess, concepts for you to understand in order to have success in teaching your dog to listen. And ultimately, that could be listen in the context of things that are exciting, uh, maybe in the context of actually things that are quite worrying, and you want to be able to support your dog more in those scenarios. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than, um, than feeling like you can't help your dog out when they're worried because actually they're not wanting to receive information from you right now. And, you know, in the um, Help My Dog Hub, which is like our online like learning platform where all the video lessons are and we do live teaching every week, there's a, a Facebook community for all the members. And one of um, the amazing Hub members um, posted just the other day and they were really upset and they wanted my input because basically somebody had said, the issue is, is your dog doesn't trust you and that's why they're behaving the way that they're behaving. And, and specifically in relation to when her dog is reacting, the dog's ignoring her. And I, you know, my, my answer was, I guess, twofold, right? First of all, 
know, the reason why your dog's ignoring you is not because they don't care about you or because they don't love you or because they don't trust you or anything else. It's actually because they're so worried about the thing that they are reacting to. They can't even disengage one brain cell from that thing to acknowledge that you're there. And that isn't a reflection on you. That's a reflection of the thing that they're reacting to. And we, you know, we, we have strategies to teach them to disengage, strategies to teach them not to be worried about those things that in turn are going to allow them to detach some brain cells from that thing and direct them, you know, in your direction. And the second thing is that actually dogs have to learn to incorporate us into their coping strategy. So what do I mean by that? Because that seems complex and it's really not, okay? Whenever we experience an emotion as a human animal or a canine animal or a feline animal or any animal, right? We experience that emotion and then we have to we have to do something about it, right? We have to cope. We, we have to implement a coping strategy. And like if I take, you know, some human examples of coping strategies, some humans, they run away from things that they're worried about. Some humans, they start trying to attack and fight the thing that they're worried about. Some humans, they open the bottle of wine, right? And it, it, your coping strategy is going to vary from situation to situation. And it's going to be based on what has worked or not worked in the past, okay? So it's going to, it's going to be based on what your dog has rehearsed in other situations. Now, what we've got to realize is that the coping strategy could either involve you or it might not involve you. And what we can do through game strategies, through teaching that, you know, you get in this podcast and also those of you who are in the Help My Dog Hub, all of the learning and strategies that I'm getting you to do in there are, are creating this. What it does is gets you to, um, it gets your dog to factor you into that coping strategy, to look for information, to look for input, to realize that actually when, when they default to you or engage with you a little bit when, in environments where they're excited or worried, it makes the situation better. And it makes the situation better for you as well. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're a, um, a passenger on the walk. Yeah, we had this discussion only the other day um, on, a, on some live teaching that I was doing. The difference between being actively directing a walk and um, giving your dog information and helping them out and supporting them and actually just being a passenger. And those of you who are horse riders who are listening, you'll be able to relate to this because when you're on an animal, right, when you're riding, when, when you are on top of a horse, you have a really clear feeling when you are truly being the rider, right? And you're the horse is in the moment with you and you're in the moment with the horse and when you're being a passenger, right? When you just happen to be on their back while they're doing, going through the world and they feel very different. And then it often triggers some emotions in us, in, in us humans when, um, when we discover that actually we're a passenger. And I think sometimes with, with dogs and being on a dog walk, it's sometimes harder to realize you're being a passenger until something goes very wrong. Yeah, we don't, we're not always checking that our dogs are responsive, listening um, in the moment with us because, well, we're enjoying the scenery as well. And then they see the dog that they're worried about and it's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I yeah, very much passenger right now, cannot input, cannot help this situation. So we get it. And part of moving forward with that is, first of all, teaching your dog the value of listening. Okay. So I guess the first thing to say, and, and I guess the first tip, is that before we can even think about getting our dogs to listen, they first of all have to be aware of us and have to see 
that we are an important, I guess, like an important um, experience in that environment. And your dog will have decided environments where you are an important experience and important to them and environments where actually you're just white noise. Actually, you're, you know, they, they can zone out. Actually, there are other important things going on. And so you'll notice a difference between your dog's responsiveness at home. You'll notice a difference with your dog's responsiveness in your garden. You'll, that'll be different from how they respond on a walk. That'll be different to how they respond in training class. And we see this a lot in behavior consults where people are like, you know what? We go to these training classes and my dog can do all these amazing things and they can listen to me and they can focus and there can be all kinds of chaos going on in the rest of the class and they're listening and they're with me, right? But that doesn't apply on a walk. And in fact, it's the total opposite on a walk, even when there's nothing going on. And there's, there's clues in that, right? There's clues in why one, one situation is successful and one's not. At training class, your dog has this history of you providing positive experiences, joyful moments, moments of, um, you know, speaking their language and, and you know, you're, you're stimulating to them. And so they're, they're actually aware that you exist so that when you then ask them to do something, they think, you know what, I'm going to listen to that person because they lead to joyful experiences. I've had a history of positive experiences with them in the past. And that's successful. And then what we do is we go on the walk and we start asking our dogs to do things without that history of positive experiences, joyful experiences, great outcomes, amazing like surprise stimulating moments where we were speaking the same language as them. And they go, no. Yeah, they go, I'm not even aware of you. Or maybe they are aware of you, but actually what you've asked them to do is you've asked them to do the hard work when they don't realize that there's anything in it for them, right? And so what we need to do is we need to think responsiveness and engagement first. Forget telling your dog to do things. Forget asking your dog to do things. Let's instead think about, you know what, can I... Put, put my dog on lead, walk into my front garden, and can I just get them chasing food for the love of chasing food? Can I throw some food up in the air and get them to catch it? Can I get them chasing me around? Can I, you know, wait for them to look at me and then dash away and then throw, roll a piece of food? Because that low pressure, high fun, high joy, highly rewarding, highly positive experience. That is then the foundation for when you ask them to do something, when you, when you ask, ask them to respond in a particular way, they go, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do that. One, because now I'm aware that this thing exists, right? i.e. my owner in this environment. And two, because I've got this back catalog of great experiences in this exact context, which makes it a good deal. And I think often we assume that the good deals that we've given our dogs at home, our dogs are gonna think that those good deals are available out and about. And the reality is that dogs learn in boxes. You've probably experienced this, where your dog will behave totally different with one family member to how they behave with you. And they behave totally different in one environment to how they behave in another environment. That's because they just stepped into a different box, right? They're like, okay, I'm on a walk, therefore I, you know, I have my walk values, I have my walk behaviors, I have my walk typical choices that I make, I have my walk emotions, I go home, 
and I step into my home box and I have my home values, my home behaviors, my home choices that I typically make and my home emotions and they're different. And what we need to do is make sure that the right stuff is in the right boxes or ideally the right stuff in all the boxes, right? And then we win it. So first things first, think experience first, think responsiveness first, think where's the joy and where's the good deal before we ask our dogs to do anything. That's tip number one. Second tip, Hey guys, I just want to take a little pause to let you know how you can get involved with the official Help My Dog membership hub. If you're enjoying geeking out about the science of dog behavior, want to watch dogs practically being trained in real life, and you want to progress even further, you can join our members-only community and get targeted learning with me each and every week to help you combat your dog struggles at home, on walks, and out and about. And right now, when you jump in, you can actually watch Gorse's behavior rehabilitation from trauma to triumph in an over-the-shoulder video diary showing real-life situations. To find out more, just head over to www.helpmydog.com forward slash hub. Second tip is realizing that actually when we ask our dogs to do anything, it's a pressure situation. Even a very basic behavior, like a sit, a down, a, I don't know, a, even responding to their name. The reason why is because dogs quickly learn, even when they're trained with reward-based training, that if, if a, one of those specific words is coming out of your mouth, there's a good outcome and a bad outcome. They could do it right or they could do it wrong. They could get rewarded or they could not get rewarded. Dogs that have a history of force, um, aversive-based training, it's the other way around, isn't it, right? Um, they get it right, the bad thing doesn't happen. They get it wrong, the bad thing happens. They get checked with the chain, they get shocked with the shock collar, they, you know, they get told off, whatever it might be. And so regardless of whether we're talking reward-based or aversive-based training, actually there is a level of pressure and expectation there that some dogs are more sensitive to than others. And so the reason why I'm, I guess, highlighting this is because it makes sense as to why there's that vicious cycle of your dog increasingly not listening to you sometimes. They decide that you're not quite the best deal in that environment. We don't realize and we don't reestablish ourselves as the best deal, yeah? Then what happens is we ask them to do something. They don't do it. But we know they can do it because they do it at home. And so then we ask them again. And then we get frustrated and we ask them again. And now they feel pressure because they're like, I'm being asked repeatedly to do something. And I know that it's, I'm not doing the right thing. I know that I'm not getting the reward. And I know it's a bad outcome. So what do we do when we have someone who pressures us in our life, right? Where, what do we do when we've got that person that always nags us, always, you know, when, whatever's coming out of their mouth, you know it's going to be a job. You know it's not going to be praise, right? What do we do? We go, la, 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 la. <laughs> we go, I'm not listening. I didn't see those messages come through on my phone. I'll look at those in 12 hours, maybe 12 days. Yeah. And our dogs kind of do the same thing. They implement a coping strategy of shutting down, of switching off, of being like, no, not, not listening to you human you're not a good deal right now and until we realize that we've got to go back and readdress being a great deal and then at every point in the, which we ask we're asking our dogs to listen repeatedly and we ask our dogs to listen a lot if we take a step back and think about it you know they they have a lot of expectation on their shoulders we need to go back and readdress the good deal balance okay so 
First of all, get make yourself a good deal in all those different boxes that represent different environments, right? Or if you're that person in the family where your dog doesn't listen to you, but they listen to other members of the family, just don't see it as something personal. It's not that they love you less. It's not that they trust you less. It's none of that human stuff. It's actually, they don't have as strong a history of great deals in the environment that you find yourself in. Feels a lot better, doesn't it? Like if you take like a robotic approach, it always feels less personal. And you're gonna establish the good deal. And then as you ask your dog to listen more and more, you're gonna make sure that you go back to it being a good deal. Okay, and you're going to keep that balance. Now, on the subject of balance, we've talked about how to train your dog. We've talked about how to get great results with your dog and giving you some, you know, some, some knowledge value already, which this podcast is all about giving you insane amounts of value. But there's, we've got to balance that up with also the fact that actually we're working with animals. Actually, we invited an animal into our lives. Some of us invited many animals into our lives and we wonder what we've done. And um, the reason why we invited those animals into our lives is because they're not perfect all the time. There's that unpredictability, that uncertainty. And sometimes we have those moments of, oh my word, how did this happen? I'm cringing. I want the ground to swallow me up. And that's why we include in every podcast episode the it could be worse segment, right? So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to share your cringe stories that you've um, emailed in. I read, I experienced them at exactly the same time as all of you listeners, right? Um, so I don't know what these stories are. Um, Madeline goes through them and um, basically picks out the best ones slash the ones that are most punishing for me some weeks. It depends if I've been well behaved that week or not and um, we basically share them all together so that you can have those moments of celebrating with everyone the fact that actually dogs are great and it's not just when they are well behaved that they are great so let's have a little look at what we have right so we have here hi tom P.S. Feel free to use the original name as both Sam and my mother-in-law are no longer with us. Oh, that's, so this is like a nice memory. Right, let's do this. Some years ago, we had a Labrador called Sam. One winter's evening, Hubby and I went to visit my mother-in-law. She excitedly told us about her new... Oh, I can see where this is going. She excitedly told us about her new dentures, saying how brilliant it was that they were a better fit. She had lit a fire and Sam settled down in front of it while we sat with a cup of tea chatting. All of a sudden, my, ah, all of a sudden, my mother-in-law let out a massive sneeze and the dentures flew out of her mouth. At exactly the same moment, Sam raised his head in surprise. I'm not surprised, I would. Um, Sam raised his head in surprise and happened to catch the dentures, launching them into the open fire. We all sat stunned, watching the brilliant new dentures melt in the flames. Oh my word. Uh, we often looked back and laughed about Sam's amazing goal, store, goal scoring abilities. That is, that is, I feel like that's something that if you wanted to recreate, you'd probably be training for about six months. And then just to reenact that scene, that is awesome. I love it. Um, right, next one. Magic is a seven-year-old long-haired chihuahua. She's met Tom before. 
I hope I'm not part of this story. <laughs> um, she's met Tom before. She is one of the most optimistic dogs ever and is always in that seeking mode, looking for opportunities, and she's very food motivated. On this occasion, we are at the local park and I have two other dogs with me. They are walking across the field and it was my intention to walk them around the lake as a circuit. That, requ that required us to walk past the public toilets and the toddler's playground, which is fenced off. Okay, it could go one of two directions. Now, is it gonna be public toilets? Is it gonna be toddler's playground? Magic is off lead as she's very, generally very reliable. However, on the day in question, she shot off to, oh no, she shot off towards the ladies' toilets and ran inside and totally ignored any effort to recall her. So whatever was inside had a lot more value than me. Okay. She emerged a moment later. I have a feeling of dread about this story. Um, uh, <laughs> she emerged a moment later, extremely pleased with herself, and it took... And it took me a moment to work out what she had in her mouth. To my horror and mine, she had, I don't know how to put this delicately, a colourful ladies' accessory that had been left on the floor. <laughs> I can't carry on reading. Or... This is my preferred option. Or she could have gone under the door while the person was on the loo, but I choose to hope not. <laughs> she ran out of the toilet very happy with her prize and looked at me. I moved towards her, clearly intending to take it. How though? Oh my word, I don't know what I would do. And I saw her make the calculation between me and the toddler's playground. I thought this couldn't get any worse. She gave me a sideways look and shot off, squeezed through the bars of the toddler's play area and ran around with her prize in front of lots of horrified parents. Ah! Oh! Dogs are not allowed in the playground, so going in to get her with two of her dogs wasn't an option. That, right, so now you're following the rules, I see. I couldn't leave them tethered as Mika, one of, one of the other dogs, would be inclined to snap if anyone came up to him. So there is my cute chihuahua having the time of her life, charging around the playground with this unmentionable item in her mouth. The only thing I could think of was to run around the other side and see if I could tempt her back out through the bars with some food. Eventually, I was successful, and she emerged through the bars at the back of the playground, <gasps> ah! but minus her prize. So she had clearly dropped it in the play area. Did I go in and retrieve the item, you may ask? I, of course, did what anyone else would do and clipped her back on lead and made a very hasty retreat. <laughs> I love it. Oh my word. I hope that Madeline successfully anonymized that. Otherwise, you might be in trouble. Right, last one, let's do this. So, six months after my, oh no, six months after my childhood dog died, um, I went to a local shelter and adopted a one-year-old lab husky mix. We will call him Mr. T. 
<laughs> okay. So I, appreci I appreciate that I was in my early 20s and maybe not making the best decisions because a few months later, I had to move for a new job and I wasn't allowed to take my dog. Luckily, my mother was very happy to keep him until shortly after my move, my mother called to say, do you know what your dog has done? And she explained that he had run off during their walk. For hours, she had driven around looking for him, only to find him chase, oh my gosh, oh, this is my worst nightmare, only to find him chasing a horse around a corral. He would not respond to recall, and he chased that horse for ages until they were both exhausted. Luckily, the owner was very forgiving. If not embarrassing enough, not long after that phone call, mother called again. What did he do this time, I asked. She told me how he ran off from her boyfriend's house and, and harassed a pig in a sty. <laughs> what? Harassed a pig in a sty? What was he doing calling her names? <laughs> harassed a pig in a sty. After a further incident with some turkeys, my mother respectfully asked that I find someone else to look after him. Since I wasn't allowed to have a dog where I was living and I didn't want Mr. T to end up in a shelter, I asked my neighbor if he would take in my dog. He was excited to do this since he had his own dog who was lonely and it was the best place for him. Luckily, this story has a very happy ending. I saw Mr. T every day and my friend was a happy man who loved dogs and brought joy into our training. We laughed a lot at their antics. By the time Mr. T was five, he had settled down and he lived to the age of 15. It all worked out in the end and I miss that crazy dog every day. That is awesome. That is so sweet. I say it's awesome. It's embarrassing. It's far from ideal. But, you know, the reason why we're celebrating these stories is because there's never, you're never far from, as a dog owner, Okay, especially in, in, in certain countries, as a dog owner, you're never far from someone who is, is almost like looking to intentionally, unintentionally, just the nature of, you know, the culture right now to shame you, right? And make out that they know best or that it's your fault. And we forget that dogs are animals. We invite them into our life because we want some variety, yeah? So these dogs in these three stories certainly spiced things up. They were successful. And, and, and then we have all these expectations put on us, but also put on ourselves, if we're honest, don't we? We, we have expectation creep, scope creep, yeah? Where um, scope creeps that idea of, you know, you get a dog with a particular scope in mind. This is how you want your days to look. This is how you want your weeks to look. This is, you know, how you want your life to look. But then what we do is we then expand our scope and we're like, oh, well, very good in the house, but needs to walk perfectly on a lead. And then, you know, maybe you achieve that one day and you go, yeah, but he's not doing this, right? And it's just the, you know, it's just a, a human, um, just like a fact of being human that we're, we're all aware that we do this a little bit. And there's that, that great story and I forget who it, it's by, but you know, they went on one of the first flights where there was, um, there was Wi-Fi on the flights, right? And it was like the, the, the um, air steward, you know, went onto the, the radio thing and was like, guys, you know, we do have Wi-Fi on this flight. It was installed, you know, a few days ago and, um, you know, you can access it and, 
yeah, you can get access to the internet. And everybody turned around to each other and was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. The, the human, you know, the human race has, has, has stepped up to a new level. We now have internet in the sky. Unbelievable. Who thought that this would have been possible? And then 10 minutes later, everybody's trying to connect and it's slower, you know, it's as slow as a snail. It drops out, it kicks you out. Some people were struggling to log in and there was just, you know, the, the bells were going, being like, my internet's not working. I'm so disappointed. I'm so frustrated. This is terrible. I'm going to leave a complaint. And what is the, you know, light bulb amazing win of yesterday, or in this case, 10 minutes ago becomes the expectation of the next day. And the reality is, especially when you're working with an animal, just because something went great yesterday doesn't mean it's gonna go great forevermore. Okay, because just like all of us, we all have our stress buckets. We all have good days and bad days. You know, last week I had a bit of sciatica because I dropped my stirrups down a couple of holes on my um, saddle. Too much information, but um, so it gave me a bit of sciatica. And um, and I was grumpy. Yeah, I'm not really, I'm rarely grumpy, but I was like, oh, this sciatic is driving me mad. And then the next thing I was getting impatient in the cute, in the supermarket and things like that. And the reality is that they are living, breathing things. And that's why we do these cringe stories. So guys, if, um, if you've got a cringe story that you'd love to share that is mortifying, shocking, even sometimes disgusting, I will read them, right? Then all you've got to do is email cringe at helpmy.dog. That's cringe, C-R-I-N-G-E, at helpmy.dog. And if you found this podcast or any of the previous episodes entertaining, enlightening, um, you got value from them, please leave a review because that then means that more people access the right information right from the word go when it comes to their dog owning and they can avoid a life of, you know, poor results, being shamed, feeling like they're not good enough because actually when you're part of the HMD family, results are a given there is no shame here. In fact, we, we laugh and celebrate and joke together. Um, and we celebrate the fact that you really are the best dog owner your dog could ever wish for. Now, I said there were going to be three tips on listening, didn't I? And the final tip that I've got for you is that really, what is listening? What is your dog listening to you? Well, it's them being aware that you exist. It's them understanding that the words coming out of your mouth have value and meaning. Yeah? and that they, they mean something in particular that we can teach them. Now, the thing is, and I experience this a lot, okay? And sometimes you get tough Tom. Sometimes you get Tom that just has to say things how they are, right? Sometimes I have to have the conversation with owners of, how on earth can, you know, can your dog know that what is coming out of your mouth has value or that the words have a particular meaning? when there's so much coming out of your mouth. <laughs> and we all have this, you know, this sometimes like naughty habit of talking to our dogs, you know, incessantly being like, oh, look at you, you're so cute, good boy, good boy, really nice, really nice. Oh, lovely, look at you, oh, nice, can you do a sit? And they're like, huh? They're like 50 words and I didn't, didn't quite catch one of them. Um, and it kind of becomes white noise. And 
if you're on this journey to teach your dog, you know, to be really responsive and listen, despite what's going on in the environment, there is actually massive value in reducing what comes out of your mouth, yeah? And instead being very specific about the things that come out of my mouth are gonna have value and meaning when I'm directing them to my dog for the next three weeks, if I'm gonna transform this, yeah? And when I say value and meaning, how does a dog decide value and meaning? Well, meaning is, is this something that I know? Is it a sit, a down, my name? Is it middle? Is it a recall? Is it a left spin, a right spin? They've got to know the thing, yeah? And then the second thing is how, they, how do they decide value? Well, when I do the thing, does it lead to one of those amazing, joyful, great experiences that make it a great deal? If you tick those two boxes for the next three weeks, well, your dog is at actively going to be listening out for you. They're not just going to be passively aware, they're going to be actively aware. They're going to be waiting for what comes out of your mouth because it leads to these amazing things. First thing. Second thing is that sometimes we use our words as a way of like managing our dogs when we think things are going to go wrong. Anybody a bit guilty of this? Where you're walking down the street and there's a dog up ahead and you're going, good boy, Good boy, be good, be good, please. And it's like, you're almost like, aside from getting down on your hands and knees, it's like, uh, please be good, I am begging you. And, and the, the challenge with that is, they, those words have no meaning, no value, but if that, and if that dog also has, um, also has an understanding that when they're asked to do something, they feel pressure and it, it a layer of expectation. Effectively, what we're doing is feel pressure. Come on, feel some more pressure. I know you're worried about that dog. Let's feel some more pressure. And of course, that doesn't always go well, okay? And so I guess what I'm saying is be, just come away from this podcast being aware or, or catching yourself or noting, do, do, is the information that I'm giving my dog right now a value and does it have meaning? And if not, then, you know, ideally reduce it, yeah? I'm not saying that we can only speak to our dogs when we tell them to do stuff, because that's not good either. But it's about that balance. What we don't want to do is become white noise. What we don't want to do is become, in the eyes of our dogs, the bad deal, the high pressure situation. And if you're, and don't worry if you found yourself in that situation, because you listen to this podcast again, and there are loads of steps to move you away from that, right? Because it's also changeable. But it's about taking a step back from, you know, the day-to-day -day in a state of reaction and being proactive and putting a plan in place. So you wanted me to talk about creating a dog that listens. I hope you found that useful. If you have found it useful, I'd massively appreciate you leaving a review for the podcast. We randomly pick um, people as winners. They, you know, you might win a Help My Dog mug. You might win a Behave Vet Behaviour Consult. Um, I'm also going to pick a winner for today's Help My Dog mug. And it's got to go to Magic, the Chihuahua's owner. Um, you're going to win a Help My Dog mug if you listen, when you listen to this uh, Magic's owner or whatever their real name is. Maybe it's Magic, maybe it's not. I don't know if you want to be anonymous um all you got to do is just email cringe at helpmy.dog and say hey i'm magic's owner here's proof well we'll have your email so we'll know if it was you that submitted it or not just don't want to see any uh, help my dog mugs on the black market um have an amazing day guys and i'll see you next week <laughs>